are wrapping up our series on sex and dating that Pastor Kalen has been walking us through this last month. And each week you guys have been um, asking questions on your note cards that you would like to see answered, whether it touched on one of Pastor Kalen's sermons or was completely untouched. And Brooke and I are here today to answer those questions. So the questions have really already been asked, but if it feels appropriate, we'll ask for feedback as we roll through. Brooke and I have been married for uh, 12 years last month, and um, we have been through lots of life circumstances together, in both in our marriage and before we got married. So we have history that we can talk to you about, but we also are both just sold out for Jesus. Like we love the Lord, not perfectly, but with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and strength, we do the best that we can. So we have that place to speak from as well. Um, Our good friend Jocelyn took all of your questions week after week and she kind of culled them down and put them in categories. So we got about nine questions that we're gonna answer for you guys today that really encompass all the questions that you guys asked. And so we're going to kick it off by just rolling into question number one. So the first question that we're going to hit this morning that you guys asked about was um, pertaining to sex before marriage. Is it okay? What's the story there? Specifically, the words that we got from the card was, if we're going to get married anyway, what's the harm in having sex now? It's a pretty fair, understandable, common question. What happens to married people who have sex before marriage? It looks like some work out. What happens to the marriage and the sex life? Does, doesn't it just get better afterward? So, um, Brooke had some initial thoughts on this. I was I invite- afraid that that's what that meant. If it was in blue, that I meant I go first. Yeah, the blue one? comments are for you. <laughs> okay. So. Um, I'll open it up by saying that I wanted to get married since I was really little, and I was going to marry every boyfriend that I ever had. Um, like, we'd be dating for three days, like, and I'm like, I love you, like, don't you love me? And yeah, I was for sure going to marry all of them. In fact, when Justin asked my dad's permission if he could marry me, he said, you know she was going to marry the last one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> thanks, <laughs> which Dad. I loved. Yeah, thanks. For outing me on that, but Justin already knew. Um, so yeah, so you may feel like you're going to marry someone while you're still in school or while you're even 20 years old, um, but chances are you're not. Chances are you will date around a little bit before you get married. You may not, but even still, um, I would say that it's definitely safer to wait, and I definitely wish that I had. Um, Justin and I, um, neither of us were virgins when we got together. Um, And so it was really hard for us while we were engaged, and we ended up having sex. We were engaged for a total of three weeks, and we couldn't wait. Because we're strong. Yeah, um, because that's probably, in general, what happens when you've already given your life over to it. It's really hard um, not to. so yeah, so, so we didn't think that anything bad would come from it because we were getting married. <laughs> and we were wrong. Um, from the, the very first week that we were engaged, we started to have problems as a result. Um, I started to get really self-conscious. And Justin started to feel guilt because he knew what he was doing was wrong. And I was a new believer, and he was not. So he felt more responsibility for it. Um, and it started to cause friction before we even got married, um, even to the point where he thought, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't get married because we've sinned. Um, 
And then we did get married, and um, the first year and a half was pretty much filled with Justin being angry at me for making him feel guilty and me feeling insecure because he was always angry and it felt like blaming me. Um, and that's just, that's how it worked out for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll hop in if you're ready. Yeah, you hop in now. All right, so um, I, I, I know without a doubt that God like introduced me to Brooke. Like I was on vacation visiting my sister in California and I'm walking down a street and I just stop in this store and I meet Brooke and I talk to her for five minutes. That was it. And then the next day I'm back on a plane to Texas and I'm like angry at God that I would meet somebody so incredible 2,000 miles from home. I, I remember talking to God on my bed later and I'm like, why would you have me meet somebody so fascinating and just, you know, you know, that lives so far from like I have no chance with her. But we started writing to each other, and our, our getting to know each other was a total of like six weeks, and then we were married. Like, I just knew it was the Lord, and yet that last week, um, really the last couple days, we were actually together in Texas, and we messed up. We, we didn't wait well. I mean, we, I had to like lead us in waiting 48 more hours, and, and I blew it. I blew it, guys, because I'm the, I'm the man. I'm the head of the relationship. It's, it's our responsibility, men, to lead ladies well and take care of them and protect them. But I blew it. And it was real interesting um, that I blew it because God warned me not to blow it. Uh, Just a few days before Brooke came to Texas for us to get married, I had a dream. And it was one of those dreams when you wake up and you're like, that was from the Lord, like no question. And in this dream, I was on this open field and I walked into the field and there's this like ramshackle structure made out of rotten plywood like these walls and inside of it are all these scary sounds and it was just forbidding and weird and I walk into it and I feel like maybe I was accompanied by like an angel or something but I walk into this weird place and it's like this like sexual carnival funhouse atmosphere there's demons and I'm walking through and I'm like this is awful this is icky this is gross this is scary I don't want to be here and the longer I was there, the more I realized this is my, this, this place is my sexual past because I gave my heart and my body away many times before I met Brooke. I did not wait well. And I'm walking through this dream that I feel like God is showing me saying, this is your sexual past. And the cool thing was that he led me out of it. I, I was able to escape from it. And I was then in this beautiful open field, and there's that place, and God just made it abundantly clear in that moment, if you don't wait these next few days with this woman, this my daughter that I'm giving you to be a wife, if you don't wait well, if you don't respect her and yourself, you're going to invite all of that disgusting, demonic grossness from your years of disobeying me, you're going to invite that into your marriage. But if you resist that temptation, and just hold firm for just a few days, I'm going to give you the most incredible, not just marriage, but sex life in your marriage. And we didn't wait well. And I invited all of that horrible stuff, not only back into my life, but into my wife's life. And we paid for it dearly. That first year and a half of marriage, um, I, I threatened to divorce Brooke because she kept coming at me and saying and holding me accountable for all these sins these sexual sins that I committed before I even knew her. 
but it's because I brought that sin and I brought the shame and the guilt of my mistakes into her life. And the Bible says that when two become one, it's not just a joining of bodies, but souls. When you join together with another person sexually, and it doesn't have to be sex, it can be like right up to the point of sex, your souls are being joined together. And so I, my soul, and all the garbage that I had attached to myself, I gave that to my wife. It's like, you know, congratulations for marrying me. Here is a year and a half of torment and disdain. And what's funny is I think like what all of you probably want out of a relationship was exactly what we didn't get mm-hmm. because of, of our past and because we had invited sin and we were sort of like outside God's like holiness and his design for our marriage. And so like you want that person that you can trust, your companion who's always there for you and loves you no matter what. And we weren't doing that for each other no. at all. Um, you want that person who will encourage you and we were tearing each other down. And um, like, I mean, I know what you guys want. Like it's what we want. And, and when you're choosing sin, you, you just don't, it just doesn't work that way. You just don't get it. When, when we deliberately sin and choose to do what we know the Bible and God say don't do, we're stepping out of his protection. And God is a God of protection and he was protecting me by showing me that dream and saying, watch out, be careful. And I just disregarded and I did things Justin's way and it didn't just cost me, it cost Brooke because when you have sex, two become one. So if the question is, if we're gonna get married, what's the harm in just having sex now? Take it from us. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we wouldn't have made it. We would have gotten divorced. We would have been the statistics that Kalen has been throwing out in his sermon series. So there's, there's devastating, destructive harm in not waiting. So that's question one. We could say a lot about it, but there's other questions that we want to hit. Do you have one last thing? Yeah, and, and even though, like, we have worked out, praise God, like, I, if I could go back, I would take it, like, back. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's not worth it. Uh-uh. Um, no. Not even close. So. Yeah, one night of being together versus a year and a half of pain and heartache, not worth it. Second question that you guys had, and some of these are a little similar, but boundaries with friends. Um, what if my friends talk about pornography, porn, inappropriate sexual topics? Um, how do I protect myself? How can I change them was really the heart of one of your guys' questions. Uh, do you guys have friends that talk about gross, nasty, disgusting sexual things and like in the locker room or whatever? You could all raise your hands. You I know they do. Maybe it's you guys that talk about this. Yeah, anyway. I was that guy. Um, so if my friends are talking about these things, how can I change them? And uh, I'll give you a couple step-by-step easy things, but then Brooke has one, but this is a shorter answer. But, you know, change the subject. If they're talking about something they saw on television was something gross, and it doesn't even have to be sexual. It could be demonic. It could be abusive. It could be whatever. You can change the subject. Like, you have the power of speech. Use your power of speech and be like, you know, it sure is beautiful outside today. Like, it's that subtle. You can change the subject. If, if they refuse to change the subject, you can walk away, you know? You're afraid of walking away from people when they're doing something that you don't approve of, but, um, man, have some self-respect. And they're, they're not going to hate you for it. They, they might respect you for it. Um, you can pray in the moment of just like, Jesus, like, protect me from what's being said right now. I don't really like this situation. I don't like this conversation. Give me some wisdom on what to do right now. And 
I have prayed that in the moment, like somebody's looking at me and talking to me, and I'm just like, Jesus, what do I say right now? And boom, something comes to mind, and I say it, and the whole conversation is different, so you can pray. But those are a couple examples. You can walk away, change the subject, you can pray and ask God, what do I say right now in this weird situation? Help me out. And he'll answer you. But ultimately, you can only control yourself. You don't have the power to control your friends. I understand that. Um, and it's important for you guys to realize that. Like, that you don't have to force them to do the right thing, but you do need to protect yourselves. Um, it is your job as Christians to just say, hey, like, you know, that's not really appropriate. Like, I don't want to. Um, if, you know, to at least get to that point, it might take some practice to, like, be that, like, forward about it. Um, and if they make fun of you, like, if, if it's not healthy, like, that's, an, that's a toxic relationship. It's time to walk away. Yeah. You guys can only, you know, control yourselves, take care of yourself. And even though it's sad and it sucks to lose friends, uh, it's not worth your soul. Yeah. I, I, it makes me think of Sidekick Wednesday. So this Wednesday and a couple Sundays ago, we, we have these quarterly events where we really just give you permission, invite a friend to church. That's your responsibility. That's your job. I mean, that's scriptural. Just tell them about me. Invite them to church. But whether or not they say yes is not your responsibility. If you invite 10 friends to church and none of them come, I and the Lord, we're proud of you because you did what you're supposed to do. It's not our job to make people do things. But it is our job to, to say something from time to time. So invite some people this Wednesday. And if you're in an awkward conversation this week, um, speak up. Say something. Do, some, do something. Next question. False beliefs. Why do people tell me that the way to make him or her happy is to just give them what they want? I assume this question is talking about why are my friends saying just send them that picture of yourself. Just Make out with him. Just have sex with him and it'll be fine. Why do people say that? I hate that your friends would say that to you. Like, oh, yeah. I hate that. Because it's like saying, oh, it's just easier to like lay down and be a doormat. Oh, it's just easier to like give yourself away. It's not easier. Like, they're, they're trying to say that, but it's not. And, I mean, I think, you know, media tells us that. And, like, the music we listen to will tell us that. But it truly is not. And so... I feel like if you're hearing that, like if you have people who are pushing you towards that, if your friends are saying that, like you need to counteract that with scripture. You need to counteract that with truth, at least in your own mind. Because if all that you have coming into your mind is, oh, it's easier to do this. Oh, just send the picture. Oh, just go meet him in the bathroom, whatever it may be. Like you will start to think that way. Like it will change the way that you think. And so they obviously have been taught to think that way because trust me, like you don't come out of the womb thinking I should show my naked pictures to people. <laughs> like they have learned that. Um, and so if you, if you don't want to think that way, like you have to counteract it with truth, um, with friends, but mostly with scripture because that's what you know is right. Yeah. So our foundational passage for the year it's what our t-shirts are made of. Change the way that you think. That's the biblical definition for repent. Time after time, God's kids find themselves in tough situations, and God's answer time and time again is repent, repent, repent. And he's basically saying, change the way you think, change the way you think, change the way you think. And if the question is, um, my friends are influencing me 
more than God, then I would say you're probably listening to your friends or the media more than you're listening to God. And so the answer is just read the Bible. That's why we encourage you, read the Bible every day. Five minutes at the beginning of the day will change everything. Man, an hour a day will change your life. But our scripture, Romans 12, 1 through 2, which is really my answer for like every one of these questions. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Do not copy the behavior, the customs, the gossip, the television shows of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. God is in the business of changing the way we think about who we are and who he is, and the way that you do that is dive into scripture. Read the Bible. It, you don't have to come here every Sunday. You have the, you, you've got the direct source in your phone next to your bed. Let God change the way you think. And then when your friends and the news and the media start talking nonsense, you can be like, no, that's no way. And let me also just say, like, start in the New Testament, you guys. Like, don't think that you need to go into the Old Testament and understand that right away. You live in the New Covenant. You live under the blood of Jesus. If you want to feel loved by God, read the book of John. Read John. If you're feeling like, like you need to follow all the rules and, like, Christianity is just too hard, read Galatians, mm. okay? Like, go to the scriptures that apply, like, to you where you are right now. And then later on, you can go in and look at the Old Testament and how that applies to your life. Like right now, you need Jesus and his love, and you need to understand the freedom you have in Christ. Mm, well said. Okay, peer pressure slash manipulation. Um, coercion is another word, but here's the question. Why do my friends or my boyfriend or girlfriend make me feel like I'm wrong when I say no? And we can all relate to that. Um, so I would say that if your girlfriend or boyfriend is making you feel wrong for saying no, that that actually would be considered like emotional abuse. Yeah. Um, things that I experienced, and I'm, I'm sure some of you do, are that they'll threaten to go somewhere else to satisfy themselves, or that they imply that something's wrong with you, or that you know, they threaten basically saying it or not saying it explicitly, but that they will take their love away. Um, and that is not real love. Like, real love does not put, like, your physical needs before the other person. Like, you would never do that if you really love someone. I'm, it just, it's not what you want. It Get away. Me, it makes me think of my son. I love him, of course. And he, lo I think he loves me. He loves um, you. My son loves his mama, right? Like, from the day he was born, he's just like all over her, and it's a little tougher for us, but I know he loves me, and I know I love him, and yet, my son, for the last several years, he loves milk, milka milka, unka unka, whatever you want to call it, he's all about milk, even today, he's like, pour me some milk, dad, and so, he'll come up to me with an empty cup, and he'll say, milk, milk, dad, and I'm like, I'm busy right now, buddy, you can pour it yourself, buddy, I, I can't, give me a minute, buddy, he's like, milk, if you give me milk, I'll cuddle you. And that is emotional manipulation. And I, every time I fall for it, you know what happens? 
I'm like, okay, I could go for some, I could go for some cuddles right now. And I give him the milk, and he's like, I'm going to find mom. Like, he just bails on me. But he manipulates me, and I let him. And that's a cute example, but if you're with a boy, or if you're with a girl, and they're like, do this for me or else, that is your first indication it is time to hit the road. Because if they're doing that now, you think it's going to get any better in your relationship? Another example would be this. Uh, I had a friend named Jeff Yakely, and he grew up with me right across the street, so we were friends because we lived across the street. So when we were home, we were pals. But when we were at school, Jeff was way cooler than me. Like, he literally was way cooler than me. So when we were at school, he ignored me. He didn't hang out with me. And one day, he brought his cool friends to our street, and I came over to hang out. And these were not just cool guys, but they were kind of uh, bullies. And they said, if you want to hang out with us, you must get in a fight. And I so desperately wanted to be cool, just like some of you ladies so desperately want to be loved, and some of you men so desperately want to feel in charge of something. And so I did what I knew I shouldn't do, and we went out down to um, the mall and found some sap, and they're like, that guy, get in a fight with him. And I totally did, and I punched this kid in the face just to impress these guys, like an idiot. Do you think that I felt better after that? Do you think that I was like accepted by them at that? All they realized was, we can make this kid do whatever we want. And that is not a healthy relationship. If you are being manipulated emotionally, physically, mentally into doing something that you know in your heart is wrong, leave. I wish I had been strong. I wish I knew Jesus then to say, oh, I don't want to hang out with you guys. I don't want that. You guys, you are unique and beautiful daughters and sons of the living God have some self-respect. You'll be grateful for it. It comes with a lot less baggage. And I know you guys, you probably don't get enough like acknowledgement that you can be pressured also, not just by each other, but by girls. Um, and I know that like some people will consider like your manhood to be at stake, but there's nothing more manly than protecting a woman. That's right. A young woman, any woman. Um, yeah, do not, do not let them pressure you. Yeah. And the, again, the closer you are to God, the more time you spend in his word, the stronger you're getting. God raises up strong kids. You stay in his word, those moments of temptation come, and you'll be able to say, no, that's, that's ridiculous, that's stupid. But if you go a week, if I go a week, if I spend this next week without having a single quiet time, I'll be weaker for it. I'll make bad decisions. I need it every day because it's like bread. It's like food. If you go a week without the Bible and then you're like, why am I making all these dumb decisions? I will point you back to Monday and say, you should have had a quiet time. It is, it is your life blood. Uh, next question is going to be answered with just a scripture, and then Brooke's going to talk, but sexual sin, right? Kaylin's been using this phrase that's all throughout the Bible, sexual iniquity. Um, what is it? Um, the question here is, not everyone is straight. Are all of your children, as a parent, I guess, meant to be straight? I think straight? it's God's kids. God's kids. Mm -hmm. But basically, the question is about homosexuality, which we could lump in bisexuality, pansexuality, asexuality, uh, you know, just take your pick. But are those things sin? My, my answer, and this is one of many scriptures, I'm just going to let the scripture speak for itself. Um, if you've never read this, read it today on your own. Don't just hear me say it. 
1 Corinthians 6, the whole chapter answers this and other questions. I'm only taking sections of this passage because it's really long. Do you not realize that those who do wrong, who don't obey God, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or are prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, I hear some of you saying, well, for me, all things are permitted. Another way to put that is, I hear some of you saying, well, I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever feels good. Oprah said it was okay, so it must be. But face the facts. The things that you are permitting are not good for you. Here's my response, says Paul. I will not allow anything to control me. Guys and girls, are you struggling with masturbation? Is it controlling you? Are you struggling with what you look at, with what comes out of your mouth? If something's controlling you, you need to run to Jesus. You need to run to the word. You need to ask for help. Paul is saying, if you say this, 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 and this are okay, and you know God says they're not, they will control you. And Paul says, I will not allow anything to control me except Jesus Christ. Friends, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality, which are all the things we just read, is a sin against your own body. Anything sexual before marriage is a sin against yourself don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. This scripture is not a judgment against people or us who may struggle with some of these temptations. It's a warning and God is trying to protect you because he doesn't want you to be controlled by your friends, by the world, by a sin. Um, why is masturbation so dangerous and destructive? Because if you give into it, it will control you. It will pervert the way that you think about yourself, about the opposite sex, and it teaches us to think. The scriptures are all about changing the way that we think. So is everything else in life. It's trying to change the way you think. And masturbation teaches me to think, I can take care of myself. I don't need other people. I certainly don't need God to be happy. But how happy are you when you self-gratify over and over? What is that really teaching you? It's getting you completely alone in your room by yourself, covered in guilt and shame and regret. 
And that's exactly where the enemy wants you. Masturbation is a sin because it's telling yourself, I don't need people and I don't need God. And yet the greatest commandment is love God and love people. Well, and as far as like pornography use goes, like it actually physically changes your brain, like it changes your neurological pathways. And like scientists have been studying it a lot. And like secular scientists have been, not just Christian scientists, like secular like, I don't believe in Jesus people, they can see that your brain changes and it actually makes, like, physical sex more difficult. Um, Kaylin sort of talked about it, about how, like, what turns you on ends up becoming, like, more of this, like, thrill. And um, you're no longer, like, in a place where you can have, like, natural relations. Like, it, it really does pervert the way your mind works. Um, not that it can't be changed back, but it takes a lot more work to um, get off of that path mm-hmm. once you've opened it. So it's much easier wherever you are if you stop now because it does just get deeper and deeper. And the pathways actually get wider and wider so that it's harder to ever get out of them. Yeah. There's a lot we could say about this. Um... And then as far as, like, homosexuality goes, you guys, um, I know, like, the big thing right now is, like, well, I'm born that way. Um, and, and we are all born with a sin nature. Like, we are all born with certain temptations, certain weaknesses. And, like, our, our life experiences, you know, affect us as well. Um, like, we are saying homosexuality is a sin because the Bible says it is a sin. It is not, like, some deep, terrible, ugly, gross sin that's worse than any other. So it's listed right along with greed, right, right along with, with theft. It's listed with being a drunkard. And you guys, I, I, I'm here to tell you, I was born a drunkard. My father was an alcoholic. Um, his father and his mother were an alcoholic. My father is one of nine siblings, all of them alcoholics, one of them dead, drunk driving, my mom's parents, alcoholics, like it's in my genes. I remember when I was a little boy, like five or six, I snuck downstairs before school and I'm laying in my dad's bed and I had this thirst come over me and I was thirsting for something to drink, but I didn't know what it was and all I knew is it was something I'd never drank before. And the first time I tried beer in high school, I was like, this is what I was thirsty for when I was a little boy. I was born with a predisposition to sin by being a drunkard, and that doesn't make it okay. And some people are born with a predisposition for this, that, or the other, and the Bible is clear that, like, I still have an incredible, a better-than-you-can-imagine life for you that doesn't involve that. And really, like, as Christ followers, when you belong to Jesus, you, you nail your desires to the cross daily. Like, every single day, there are things that I would want to do um, big and small, that, like, I have to submit to Christ. And so um, your sexuality, especially right now when, when sex is just in your face constantly, like, it is a harder one to nail to the cross. But if you have asked Jesus into your life, like, you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will help you. You just have to turn towards Jesus and seek it. That's right. Again, there's a lot we could say on this, but this next question really answers a lot of it, too. The, the next question is forgiveness, and this person wrote out very honestly and authentically, I had sex with my boyfriend, and I realized it was wrong, and I'm scared now, and I'm sorry, and I will not make this mistake again, 
but then they ask, will I still go to heaven? That's a big question, and I get it. When we make a mistake, will, will I still go to heaven? And Brooke has a simple answer. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you turn to Jesus. That's the good news. The good news is that Jesus paid the price for all of your sins, past, present, and future, and our God is a just God, and we do not have to pay twice. He covers us. And so if you look to Jesus for your salvation, if he is your Lord, if he is your Savior, you don't, you don't have to beat yourself up about it anymore. Like, your eternal salvation is not at stake. Just turn towards Jesus. Look at him instead of your sin. Yeah. He doesn't say live, live perfectly. He doesn't say get it all right now. But he made you to live free and with boldness and confidence and power. And so why would we walk around knowing we're saved because of Jesus and yet never looking to him and never obeying him? Why would we walk around in this life for the 50 or 70 years that we may have just consumed with shame and guilt and regret when God is like, there's a better way. You're saved, but there's, all, there's more available. But when you make a mistake, it doesn't condemn you to hell if you have prayed the prayer and declared to people, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And without that, everyone is anyways. So yeah. don't think that you're, you're worse off because you've made a mistake and had sex before marriage. And if you still feel like it doesn't apply to you, like you're still like condemned, someone put it this way for me, that like not receiving like the cost that, that Jesus paid on the price, his blood, is like saying what he gave isn't good enough. And there is no way that any of you have sinned so much that Jesus' life wasn't good enough. Yeah. Um, next question is redemption. How do I go back if I've already had sex or use porn regularly? Where can I find redemption when I've lost my way? I mean, it's really answered by the, the last answer, but I'll just give a couple examples. Um, something I wrote down that I wanted to say to you guys was that when we live to please ourselves, and that can be in anything, but we're talking about sex. So when we live to please ourselves, our thinking is changed. It's perverted by lies and guilt and shame and the consequences of our action. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. They changed the way that they thought. They'd been following God and obeying God and loving God and being loved by God. And then the snake came along and tempted them and they changed what they thought and said, we're gonna do our own thing. And what happened? And then they were consumed with shame and guilt immediately. And they hid and yet, when we live to please God, when we put him first, when we pray in the moment, when we read our Bible and look to him in the face of temptation, our thinking actually is changed, it's purified. When you live to please yourself, your thinking's perverted, and it's all about me. But when you live to please God, your thinking is purified because it's all about him. And when your thinking is purified, your thoughts, your thoughts can't help themselves but to become more and more true and confident and peace-filled. Next question. All right. I think we just have two left. We may have time. What should a relationship with a person of the opposite sex be like? So like, okay, I don't want to stumble into sex. I don't want to mess it up. What should a relationship with somebody I like be like? It should be true friendship. So... I think true friendship can be hard, like it's something you learn, um, but when you're really someone's friend, you enjoy them for who they are, you get to know them, like it's not always about you and, and how you feel and what you can get from them, um, 
But yeah, you learn each other. You study each other. You encourage each other. You encourage each other towards Jesus. You point each other towards Jesus when there's problems. Um, you don't try and be that person's savior. You cannot be their savior. You cannot fix them. You cannot um, like fulfill that role that only Jesus can fill for them, but you can always point them towards God. That's the best gift Justin's ever given me is to continually point me towards God. Um, and then to also encourage each other to resist temptation. When you're in a relationship, one person is always going to be stronger than the other at times. Justin will be stronger, then I'll be stronger, and we just trade off back and forth. And when it's your turn, just encourage them. Just, yeah. yeah. So, again, the greatest commandments in the Bible. Love God, love others as you love yourself. Sex outside of marriage, sexual sin, self-gratification in any form. Um, lying to yourself and others just to justify and get what you want. That's not love. This is love. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. So be patient with your friends or the person you're interested in. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. It is not boastful. It is not proud or rude. You want to love somebody well? Those are things not to do. It does not demand its own way. Give me what I want. That's not love. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. You keeping a list against your boyfriend, girlfriend, or friend? That's not love. It does not rejoice about injustice, but truth. Yes, truth is love's delight. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And I look at the world we're living in today, and I think that if the media or the movies or social media were to write a definition like this of love, it would be love means getting just jacked at the gym to have a great body to impress the girls. And girls, love is all about dressing in a way to reveal as absolute much of yourselves, except for like just enough. Like that's not love. Love respects and honors. So if you want to know how to have a healthy relationship with somebody that you are interested in, respect them and yourself. Put God first. And just a tip, don't go on a date all by yourselves. Don't not, do not allow yourself to find yourself in a situation where you're alone at home with that person. Because I'm an adult man that knew Jesus for like a decade, and I had three days to go with this awful dream warning, and I'm like, like idiot if I wasn't strong enough you guys don't put yourself in that situation last question what are some common misconceptions about dating and marriage so the one the three top ones that I came up with were that I'll never be lonely yes you still will be lonely all my emotional needs will now be met that's not even close to true no person can meet all of your emotional needs and that I'll never be bored or unhappy, and that if I am, I can leave. And that's not true either. Yeah. So I used to say our first year to your marriage, um, if you want to get to know who you really are, get married. If you want to know who you really are, what you're really made of, you go marry somebody. All your ugly will come out. All your ugly is coming out. All those things that you thought you didn't wrestle with, all those things that you thought were hidden, you're with this person 24-7. It's coming out, and it is uncomfortable if you don't have Jesus at the center of your relationship, especially. But all your junk is going to come out. 
Um, but the beautiful thing is that the hard stuff that you walk through, which really, if you walk well before you're married, you won't bring into the marriage relationship. But if you do take some stuff, some junk into your marriage, which we all kind of do, walking through that together will actually drive you closer if you have Jesus at the center. If you don't have Jesus at the center, yeah, oh, this is harder than I thought. This isn't as much fun as I thought. I'm out. Every couple I've talked to, first year, year and a half of marriage is, is very difficult. Even the ones that, like us, went into marriage like nothing's going to get us down. We're perfect. God brought us together. And so many times I, I led poorly by saying, I'm, I'm getting out of here. I mean, frustration to the point of punching doors and steering wheels. I wasn't mad at Brooke. He broke his hand twice. Two times. I was mad at myself because I brought so much baggage into my marriage that I could have dealt with before, that I could have avoided before if I listened to the warnings of Scripture and lived truly free and not self, selfish. Um, so that answers the questions that you guys had. But if you have other questions, like you feel free to write them down, come to us, email us. If you want like resources for like websites to visit that talk about these things in greater detail, like just yeah, come ask. Yeah. Um, but but as much as we are here for you, you guys, again, you you are free. You are welcome to cut out the middleman and go to the word. I, I do. I encourage every single one of you, read First Corinthians six. And read it with a heart. Read it with a prayer before you get into it. Jesus, would you use this to change the way that I think? For the best, for, for, for good. Matthew chapter 7 says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking. The door will be opened to you. God wants you to talk to him about sex, sexuality, tough topics, and there are answers not only in prayer but in the word. And I encourage you guys, I challenge you to get into it. I love and I'm honored that you come and ask Brooke and I and your small group leaders tough questions. I would love it even more if you came to us with your tough questions and said, you know, but I was researching it and I, I brought this scripture to talk about too. Like, your teachers aren't always going to be there to answer all your questions for you. In fact, when you really need to know the answer the most, we're nowhere to be seen. Get those answers ahead of time. Please, for the love of God, for the love of yourselves, get into the word on a daily basis. I'm going to just pray for us, and we're going to wrap it up today. Um, and we know this is heavy, and it's awkward to have Justin up here talking about sex. And, I mean, just hearing you say the word virgin was like, oh, that's weird. But we had a fun day planned for you Wednesday, so we'll make up for it. But let me pray for you guys. And then we're going to wrap it up and hopefully like turn on some music immediately because you can just cut it with a knife right now. Um, I'm going to pray a scripture over you guys. And I just want you to just prepare your hearts and minds now and just think of Jesus in front of you, smiling, approving of you. No matter what mistakes you've made in your life over the last 24 hours, he is welcoming you. He is in love with you. He thinks so highly of you, and he wants you to think of yourself and see yourself the way that he does. Father, as we go forth today, we ask that you would give us spiritual, not worldly, but spiritual wisdom and insight so that we might grow in our knowledge of you. We pray that our hearts will be flooded with light so that we can understand the confident hope 
that you, Jesus, have given to us. Your holy people who are rich because of your glorious inheritance. We also pray that you will help each and every one of us understand the incredible greatness of your power for us who believe in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at your right hand in the heavenly realms. Lord, would you help us see ourselves through your eyes as these miraculous, fantastic, unique, gifted creations. Lord, help us not only experience your love and love you and love others, help us love ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening, you guys. 